a sip instead of yours. If you're looking for a way to get more positive things going into your life, I'd encourage you to check out our friends at Christian Living Magazine. You can find out everything you need at ChristianLivingMag.com. So hey, let's let's dig into this. We are on the 32nd lesson here in the gospel according to John. 32nd lesson. This is chapter 14, verses 15 to 31. And we're looking at the promising of the Holy Spirit or the promised Holy Spirit. And this is a, a great section. It's a continuation. And as we'll see, this is most likely the last part of the conversation still technically at kind of the last supper period and still up in the upper room before they they head out and start going places. So it's kind of an, an interesting section. It's been a long bit of what had been going on. And yeah, lots to go over, lots to go through in not a lot of verses, but you know what? There's still quite a bit that goes on in this. So let's dig into it and let's get going. 14, John chapter 14, verses 15 to 31 in the English Standard Version. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me, because I live you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. 
All right, so this breaks down into three three different areas. First of all, we see in verses 15 to 18, another helper. 19 to 24, we get the indwelling of the Father and the Son. And 25 to 31, we see his peace. Well, let's dig in. All right, verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, this is a really interesting spot here. Because so often in, in Western Christianity, especially here in the United States, we so very, very heavily focus on just simply love, right? God is love. God is love and that's it. Well, we, we neglect a lot of the other elements of jealous is his name and God is a God of justice. You know, we want to focus on only one side of things. We want to focus on the nice, the peace and the love and, and all of these good and easy things. And neglect the other sides and the other elements would be like justice and jealous. Like and he, he doesn't like anybody else taking his place, right? Things need to be in the proper order. He's a very in order type of type of God. Things need to be done the right way. Otherwise, it falls apart. So when we look at these things, we need to make sure that we are keeping things in order and in line and recognize that when God does these things, they oftentimes work in a, in a balance, there's a tension between two points, and there's always a balance going between them. So when we think of God and we think of these things, it's we only think of love, and that's very dangerous. That's very, very dangerous because we are told specifically in the Scripture, now we're seeing it come directly from Jesus himself, God on earth. We're seeing Jesus directly say, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, this comes off, if we're not careful, this can come off kind of like a, a command in itself, almost like a, you know, hard thumb down, like you will do what I'm saying. And that's not what's being said here. This, this is an if-then statement, though, which is really interesting because when we get to 16, it's actually an if-then-then statement. But this right here is directly an if-then statement. And if you've ever taken a logic course, which, by the way, if you have not taken a logic course, I would probably recommend it. Even if you struggle in that, it's a great thing is it's, it's going to help with, with how you can view the world and how you can understand how things work together just naturally. Even though it's done more in a science and math orient, it works with language really, really well because there is a fundamental piece with language and that is kind of math, which is order. There has to be an order, which is why the English language is so hard to learn as we break our own rules all the time. But this is an if-then, and this if-then is very specific. If you love me, then you will keep my commandments. Now, this isn't a command in itself. Rather, this is Jesus actually saying that this the natural outpouring of love of the Son, love towards Jesus, the natural outpouring of love towards another is following what it is that they need or want or ask. That's a natural part of that. If you love me, you're naturally going to outpour following the things that I've been teaching you, especially since he's come to them and he has been, one, he's been, came in as a servant, but they, as he's still speaking directly to the disciples, they've been looking at him as a teacher. They've been looking up to him. He's been teaching them and grooming them for the ministry to come. And so when he's talking directly to the disciples, if you love me, you'll follow my commandments. Then this is going to be a natural outpouring. You will naturally just do what it is that I've asked. Now, this isn't, this isn't Jesus saying you're never going to struggle. You're not going to slip up from time to time and that there's not going to be times where it's really hard to follow. He's just saying the natural outpouring, 
overwhelmingly, the vast majority of the time, it's going to be easier for you to just follow the things that Jesus teaches and teaches that Jesus has commanded us to do and the commandments that God has. Now, we can compare this because some, some theologians and some study material is going to have you look and say, look, look at how this compares. And this is Jesus showing his authority because of, of the th- types of things that were said throughout in, in Deuteronomy. Well, let's take a look at Deuteronomy just for kicks and giggles. Let's, let's do this. Deuteronomy 5.10. Deuteronomy 5.10 says, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who loved me and keep my commandments. That's that's said a little different, right? Those who love me and keep my commandments. They have to love me and they have to keep my commandments. That's not if then. Those who love me and then kept my commandments. And also then kept my commands. No, it's just those who love me and separate act of keep the commandments. Okay, now let's look at Deuteronomy 7, 9. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. So what we're seeing here is we're actually seeing God displaying, God displaying love and commitment, staying that direction. And he's showing that towards those who love him and who also then keep his commandments. But we're seeing things slightly shift. Okay. When I'm reading this, I'm seeing a slight shift. When we look in Deuteronomy it is two things. There is a, that love for God is, is really more, I hate to say more primal, but it's almost more primal, right? It's, it's more out of fear, right? We, we, I'd like, we hit the enlightenment, enlightenment movement. Now we're into the postmodern era and, and the way we view the world is a little different. And if you believe in God and you believe scriptures and you believe these things, parts of the world have a tendency to really look down on you because they want to just say, well, that's, you, you haven't grown enough to not be dependent on that kind of thinking. Well, I, I would beg to differ. I actually think that it's really immature to not recognize the overwhelming signs all around that this didn't just happen by happenstance, that this actually was created and that we are created beings. And to recognize the God of the universe who actually did the creating and all of the signs and wonders that he's done and all of the things that God has done in love for us and to actually go the direction that the designer and the maker, God has actually put before us and has given us. So I I think it's a little bit different, but they viewed things different. It was a, a primal, it was a fear. And in those days, most gods were very prideful and vengeful. And so they would actually take vengeance on people. If you didn't do what that god wanted, that god would smite you. Like, just done. How many times do we make the joke? Oh, well, I just did something. I, I hope God doesn't hit me with a lightning bolt or something. You know, whatever, whatever and however you, you want to say that. That's not how the god of the Bible works. Mind you, he has taken care of situations, but situations have been notoriously horrifically bad by the point that he steps in and intervenes. Okay, he allows us to to control and to run things to a certain point. Well, now we have the Holy Spirit and things run a little differently. And he really works through the church in a much broader sense and a much more powerful sense than he ever did. Back in the times of Deuteronomy, people would actually fear a god to the point of just being scared. 
we we recognize the fear of the Lord is a reverence for God. Like we we show reverence to God. Like he, you literally brought us into the world. You literally could take us out of it, but we love you. We love you, right? This isn't a, we're just terrified out of our wits. Well, in those times, it really kind of was a, they did things because they were legitimately terrified of being killed for not doing what they were supposed to do. So we see God loving and doing because he loves, trying to show the difference, showing that indication of, no, I've already done this. I'm doing this because I love you. Now, I want you to love me back. There has to be some order involved in this. Well, now we see the maturity and things changing in this maturing to the point where now Jesus has turned this completely around now and is saying, okay, God has done this for this long. Now I am here and we have done this and I'm just going to turn the tables a little bit. If you love me, then you're going to naturally just keep my commandments and keep this going. That is this if then, okay? It's just, it's the development of that faith going from just doing things out of fear, right? And yeah, God, we, we love you. you. You saved us from Egypt, so we love you for that. But we are also then terrified because we know that a lot of gods will just destroy things. If they're not happy, it, go, it is transitioned. And Jesus is transitioning that from being a God don't hurt me to a no, I, I'm doing these things because I do legitimately love you because you have come. You have shown us. You have shown your people. You have saved your people time and time again. And now you've come to earth to save. 16 and 17. So let's start with 15. Let's get this in context. If you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now, this is an and statement. I actually, the original language didn't have the punctuations. The punctuations, the sentences, the sentence structure is actually when we bring it into English and we set it up in a way that's easy to read. I, of course, I am not the best writer (laughs) in the world. I would much rather have liked to see this. And and I understand it wasn't because it would be a gigantic run on sentence, but these are linked together. It's actually a single thought. And if you follow it, it is a single thought because this and is a continuation of 15. So 16 is continuing in from 15 and changes this from an if then to an if then then. If then then statement. If you love me, then you will naturally keep my commandments. And then because of this, right, because you love me, then this happens, then this happens. These are natural repercussions, right? Natural things that happen from this and come from it. I will ask the father. And he will give you another helper, capital H, helper, to be with you forever. Now, this helper is the Holy Spirit, which we see in 17, even the spirit, capital S, of truth, which is a very interesting phrasing because we are starting to see the full trinity here. Okay, we see the Father, we see the Son, and we see the Spirit. Okay, the helper, the Holy Spirit, also the spirit of truth. And I'm saying that this is an interesting way for him to say spirit of truth because Jesus, if we go back to verse 6 here in chapter 14, Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. This is the spirit of truth. This is a linking. 
Okay, notice this is very purposeful. This is linking things together. Okay, I am the Father are one. We are one. We are connected. We are intertwined. We're not separable. We are inseparable. The Spirit is also there. Now, Jesus says, I am the truth. Now, this is the Spirit of truth. This is why we we get the 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 reality that our God is a triune God, that these aren't separate gods and these aren't separate things by themselves either. It is not something to where Jesus was an angel who then came down. This is not Jesus was part of God's offspring who then came down for this. No, Jesus is actually God. Jesus is an element and is part of God and God came down to do this and this links it together, even the spirit of truth, because Jesus is the truth. This is the spirit of truth. This is that same being. This is the same God coming at the same time. And that's why this is interesting because we have to recognize how purposefully this is written so that we can see how these are connected, okay? In the spirit of truth, we look at 1 Corinthians 2.13, and we see, and we impart in this words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, capital S, taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Now, I'm, I'm pointing out these capital H, capital S. Part of the reason I'm doing that is because, well, these verses that I'm reading off the side aren't on the screen, so you can't see it. And two, when we listen to the podcast, we can't see this. It's just audio. So I want to make sure that we get to see this because when they write this, they're very purposeful in having a capital or a not capital most of the time. And a capital is going to indicate that they're talking about the presence of God. It is a name. When we capitalize a first letter, it becomes a name. It's an identifier of God. So if we're talking about beware of the spirits, those are lowercase s because those aren't deity. They're not God. Okay. And if it's talking about my spirit, and I'm going and doing things in my spirit. That is a lowercase s. Now, if we're talking about a spirit, the spirit, capital S, this is a definition of the Holy Spirit. This is a title for Holy Spirit or the Spirit of God. Now, we also see in 2 Peter 1.21, continuing with the spirit of truth here, 2 Peter 1.21, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now, we also see directly after this, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him. It should actually be a but, but you know him, right? It could be a, another continuation there. But you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now, that is a very important thing because coming along later, Jesus says with you, but this is in you. And that means that there's more to the understanding of this than what we initially can grasp, okay? But he will dwell in you. Now, the world cannot receive. Let's take a look at another part in 1 Corinthians. In fact, let's just continue. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We looked at 13. Now let's look at 14. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit, again, through a capital S. Okay, again, capital S. When God reveals things to us, these things can only be revealed to us and through us via the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, the, the giver of this, right? 18, one verse, 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. 
Now, orphans, if we look back just one chapter, we go back to chapter 13, 1333, Jesus called the disciples little children. Do you remember that? Jesus called them little children. And now he's reassuring them that he's not going to leave them alone and leave them alone as orphans. God didn't just come to earth to show you to just disappear and leave you alone as an orphan who's not ready because we're still growing. And I think that's part of the indication now, as I know know we've talked about the statement of little children and how it's endearing. It's actually a nice thing. It's not, not meant to be Look, looking down on them, right? It's, it is supposed to be something that is an uplifting and a, and a nice thing. But it's also an indication that there's continual growth, that they haven't hit it and they're not going to hit it. They continue to grow until we are with God. There's continual growth, a continual sanctification, right? There's a continual growth in that, okay? But Jesus is not going to leave them alone as orphans. Let's take a look at Galatians 4.7. Galatians 4.7. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Why is that important? Because you're not an orphan. When you become part of God's kingdom, when you accept Jesus, you have God. You have the Holy Spirit. And that you are no longer what you were before, but you are a son of God or a daughter of God. And if a son or a daughter, then an heir through God. Now, the reason I this is written as son and not son or daughter is for a very specific person, purpose. In those days, it was the son. In fact, it was usually the firstborn son that got pretty much everything. They were given everything. And so in that writing of Galatians, and, and we would do this if we were going through Galatians, but in that writing, it's very purposeful in saying that you get full inheritance of God. You are the heir. You get full inheritance. It's yours. It's not saying that, you know, oh, no, 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 you're you're transformed or man is better than woman. That's not the indication and implication that's going here. It's because of the time, everything was left to the sun. Everything was just left to the sun. And so because of that cultural time and with that, this is that representation of it. Don't don't read into this. Okay, don't read into that as being something that it's not saying. Hey, sip and studiers. As you may know, the family and I have been called into missions and are now officially missionaries to the church in Pakistan. Can't tell you how excited we are for this. It's a great opportunity, and we are so blessed for it. But if you've known anybody who's gone into missions, you know can't do it on our own. We need people to be partnered with us, partnered in prayer, and yes, also in financial support. But there's so much more. If you feel God tugging at your heart, letting you know that he has a plan for you to make an impact in the church in Pakistan, we'd love for you to reach out to us and partner with us. You can do that and more at chogglobal.org slash dsbrown. That's chogglobal.org slash dsbrown, as in Drew and Sonny Brown. Now, back to the study. He says, I will come to you. Now, this specific part is actually translated, translated, well, it's interpreted in three, three primary different ways. First of all, the direct coming after the death on the cross, which would be the resurrection. Second would be 
his second coming, right? When Jesus comes back and returns in the end days. The third is the, the Holy Spirit coming on the day of Pentecost. Now, I don't think this is Jesus referring to coming as the Holy Spirit or the Holy Spirit coming on the day of Pentecost. It could be, but and, and also because they're linked, they're together, they're one God. I, I suppose it's possible. I don't necessarily think that. I think it's really more of a combination of coming back to them after the after the crucifixion as a reassuring them, don't worry, I'm going, but I'm not leaving you as an orphan. I'm not going and just dying. And then he proves it by coming back. But it's also then a, a secondary representation of him coming back at the end of days during the second coming. It's a theological statement there as well. 19 to 24, the indwelling of the, of the Father and the Son. Let's take a look at 19 to 21. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me, because I live, you also will live. And that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Okay, again, we see that that reiteration of love leads to action. Love leads to action. And it's a natural outpouring of action. It's not something like you're, you're having to force yourself and make yourself do it. It is a natural outpouring. Because of the death and resurrection and the ascension of Jesus, the world will no longer physically see him. In fact, many of the, the people of the world won't even believe that he raised from the dead. That is kind of a crucial, fundamental part of being a Christian, of believing in Jesus as the Messiah, as the Christ, and coming to him, is the, the actual belief of the physical death and physical resurrection of Jesus. That is kind of a fundamental piece. There are Christians who say, no, it's not, and I don't necessarily believe that. I would beg to differ. I think that's an area that kind of is pretty hard. It's pretty hard line drawn in the sand. If you don't believe that he died, there was no atonement. If you don't believe he resurrected, there was no victory over death. It's kind of needed. It's kind of needed. So I, I, and it's, I'm just going to lay that out there, plain and simple. These are hard line items. They, they are there. And so because of that, believers will see. Believers will see Jesus and they will recognize Jesus. And as we're seeing now, Jesus is actually approaching people through visions and dreams. We see this a lot in the Middle East and in South Asia and in heavily Muslim-oriented countries. We are seeing this time and time again. This is a, a very fascinating thing to look into. Now, he says, I live and you live. Because I live, you also will live. Well, Jesus conquered death. And so we have eternal life with God because of this. Now, this could also be a, a very direct implication of, look, I died on the cross. I get that. I'm going to, right? He hasn't done it yet, right? But I'm going to die on the cross. But that I'm coming back. It's just a sign that you're going to live as well and that you can have faith and that you can hold fast. Remember, he's talking directly to the disciples. And so while there are broad implications for the entire church, he's also speaking directly to the disciples who turn around and thusly become his apostles after he dies and after Pentecost when they get the Holy Spirit and they go out and they start spreading the word. Now, most of these guys died in pretty horrific ways. And Jesus is reassuring them and reassuring them, I live. 
I'm going to live. And you're also going to live. Don't worry. Go and get the word out. It's fine. It's, that is not the problem. Don't worry about potential problems here on earth. Worry about after. Worry about what goes beyond that because this is about what is beyond that. We have eternal life. And then he says, you will know that I am in my father and you are in me and I am in you. This could really, if, if we look back at things, this could actually be the conclusion to the answer of Philip's question of show us the father, which we saw back in verse eight last week. One's earnest and genuine love leads to the natural outpouring of obedience. It's a word we don't like here in America, but it's true. Then genuine and earnest love naturally leads to an outpouring of obedience. And that comes with knowing God on a more personal and intimate level. 22 to 24. Judas, not Iscariot. Now, it's very interesting that he points out that it's not Iscariot because if this is still at the Last Supper time when they're in the upper room, okay, like he already left, right? Judas Iscariot already left. Well, it is also interesting because there's two other implications of Judas's around. So we have Judas, not Iscariot. And this is likely, most theologians would agree that this is likely the son of James, which we see indication of in Luke's chapter 6, verse 16, not the half-brother of Jesus, who is seen in Matthew 13, 55, and also places in Acts. But again, this is Judas, not Iscariot, and he asks a very real-world, practical, literal way. Okay, and that's the thing that we keep getting back to, is they ask these very literal, like literal questions. They're taking things very literal, but that's also a very practical way to look at it. And he asks a very practical and literal way. How? How? Okay, Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how? How is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And then Jesus doubles down in 23. Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. Pause for a second. Literally just doubles down and repeats what he's already just said a couple times, mind you. If you love me, you're going to naturally do what it is that I have told you to do. And thus, and he finishes it up, right? This word isn't even my word. It's my father's word. Since this is my father's word, you can trust that he's going to love you, right? He will keep my word and my father will love him. And we, we, plural, plural, we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. Now, saying since this word is actually not my word, it is my father's word. It is the father's word. You can trust that he will love you and he will come and we will come. He and me and the spirit, we all, God will come and be with you. And if you don't keep my word, then guess what? You don't love me, right? 24, whoever doesn't love me doesn't keep my words. I don't know how much more simple that becomes. 
Love leads to action. A lack of action is an indication of a lack of love. Okay, there you go. That's pretty plain and simple. And you can trust this because this word comes from my father. It's not from me. Now, if we backpedal just a second here, and we go back to 23, we will come to him or her, it doesn't matter, right? We will come and make our home with him. Now, this word home is the same it's the same word that we saw earlier in verse 2 about heaven being a house, and in that house there are many rooms, or in uh, the New King James or the King James translation is there are many mansions, mansions. There's many gigantic mansions, right? Okay, so this this is actually in Greek, mone, which is, again, it just means dwelling place. We will come to him and make our dwelling place, our home with him. Now, with him would be like in him, right? The spirit dwells in. Saw that earlier, right? Be in you. Jesus is actually saying, if you love us, you're naturally going, the indication of your love for us is done through the actions that naturally outpour. And because of this, not just because of the actions, but because of the love, but the indication of the love is the actions that outpour naturally, God is going to come and dwell in us. He's saying there's no more need for the temple, right? God's, before this, God had always been, the only place you could find God was in the temple. Jesus is saying, no, we don't need that anymore. Why? Because we're going to go live in our people. They're now the temple. All right, his peace, 25 and 26. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now, part of this, part of this is very, very specific towards the disciples. Part of it is very broad. Part of it is very specific to them. So we want to make sure that we, we take this into consideration. So these things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you. Obviously, that is towards the disciples. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things. I think that's very broad. That's a teaching towards, towards everyone. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Specific. That's very specific. Jesus does. Now, this is, pay attention here. Jesus does things in the name of the Father. Yet the Father sends the Holy Spirit in the name of the Son, giving glory to the Son and thus giving credibility and credence to the authority and authenticity of Jesus. How many times have we read over that and didn't necessarily grab that? The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, in my name name. Those who come to the name of Jesus. Those who come to the Christ, the Messiah. Those who come to Jesus of Nazareth, born of the Virgin Mary in Bethlehem. Those who come to Jesus, the Father sends the Spirit. Father sends it in the name of Jesus, in the name of the Son. See that, tw that, that, turn. I don't, I almost said twist, but it's not like a, a negative twist. It's a positive, right? It's that turning. The father is giving honor and credibility and authenticity, giving credence 
to the Son. He will teach and bring remembrance. So, again, we're, we're, we're looking at the disciples. This is a conversation between Jesus and the disciples, right? Now, he's going to teach us. In a broad sense, he teaches all believers because he is our guide. He is our, our helper through life. He is our helper. He's our guide through this. And he's going to give us and teach us and show us ways through things and through life in a godly way, in the way that God would design and what God would want. The helper is not going to lead you down a path of destruction. He's not going to teach you and tell you to do things that are contrary to God. That's why we also see in scriptures that we need to pay attention and discern what spirits are we leading you to. Because if you're hearing things, if you're hearing things or you're feeling led by a spirit and it's leading you in a direction that is contrary to the word of God, that is contrary to the scriptures. This is one of the reasons why it's so important that we actually read the Bible and we have a, a grasp and an understanding of the actual word of God is because they are our guidelines. We can see the character of God. We can see the way that God operates. We can see the way that he does things and the things that he's taught. And these, there are spirits out there that will try to lead you astray and will try to take you down a path that is not God's path and not God's way. And if something, if you're paying attention to a spirit that is telling you to do something that is contrary to what we know is within God's character, thanks to the word of God, the Bible, that is not the Holy Spirit. And that is not the Holy Spirit. He's going to lead you and teach you in a specific way. But we also see here in that very specific part that he will bring to you remembrance, all that I have said to you. Now, that is very specific to the apostles. It's also in a broad sense to us because he will bring to mind verses and things to help us through things, which is good, right? It's great. But this specifically is very direct towards the disciples who then become apostles because they are going to go out and teach in the name of Jesus. Jesus is giving them authority to go and teach. And so the Holy Spirit will bring back to mind the things that Jesus taught them. Now, we can also see the broader meaning. We look at 1 John 2.27. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, Abide in him. That's talking directly and specifically about the Holy Spirit. 27. Peace, I live with you. Now, peace, this, this, is, this is the Greek equivalent to shalom. Now, I think if, if one of the other disciples had written this, they actually probably would have written shalom. But because John was specifically writing to a more Greek audience, someone who didn't necessarily understand a lot of the Hebrew, and the Jewish context, it makes sense that he's not using a lot of necessarily the Jewish terms because he's already described and explained when he said things like rabbi, which means teacher, right? He's He's gone through and he's explained this. So for him to just use the Greek equivalent, it makes sense. But this is the Greek equivalent to shalom, which is peace. Not, not, not just like, hey, peace, but peace. Now, this peace, shalom, is a very deep and a very rich word. It is not just a, a very shallow thing like when we think peace. Like, man, I want peace. Well, when we think peace, okay, I guess no more fighting. There's no fighting if there's peace. If there's peace, there's no fighting, right? 
Well, then we use say things like, well, no, I want like inner peace. Well, this piece is kind of like that, both of those and then some. Okay, it is a very deep word that we don't have an equivalent for here in, in English. But it, it's all-encompassing of that tranquility. All is well in basically every aspect. There's positive blessings happening. And also right relationship. One of the core fundamentals with the word shalom is that right relationship with others and especially the right relationship with God. It's at peace between you and God, having that right relationship with God, which then outpours into a right relationship with others, which brings tranquility, everything being well, you're having positive blessings, things are working out in your favor, things are going well, right? So it's, it is a very big word. It's not necessarily just peace. So peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Now, my peace, the peace that Jesus gives is beyond that which the world can give. And he's also saying, I'm not giving it to you like the world gives it to you, where they just say, ah, shalom, oh, peace be with you, my friend. No, that can actually just be because it's become a very common place, like be with God or, oh, I'll pray for you. How many times people say, oh, I'll pray for you, but then you, we, we don't pray. That's It's just become a saying. It doesn't actually mean much anymore. And he's saying, I'm not saying this and giving this to you like the world where they might say it and then on the other turn around and, and, and on the other cheek just be like, man, I really wish I could just pummel that guy or God, you're, I know I know I told him that I went all with that, well with him, but man, if you could maybe, I, I think, you know what, God, I really think that that to help everything go well with him, they need to learn their place. And so if you could just knock them down a couple notches, then that would actually be the best thing for them. And I know it because I know all things, right? It's, it's not that backhanded because we ha have a tendency to do things, not all the time, but sometimes we do things a little backhandedly, right? And Jesus is saying, no, I'm not giving it to you this way. I'm giving it to you in a very pure way. He's giving it purely. And that transcends troubles and worries. Jesus is asking and giving them, wishing them peace, shalom, and his peace, the peace of God, the peace of Jesus, which transcends the troubles and transcends worries. It gives us a sense of peace and security that goes beyond what people in the world can recognize. When people talk about, man, I just really felt the peace of God. Like this situation should be terrifying. I should not be comfortable. I should be really, really nervous. I'm making a decision that, that financially could destroy my family or send my family someplace that seems really unsafe and not, and not a good place for me to take my family. But man, I just have the peace of God about me. And I know that this is the right thing to do. He transcends these troubles and these worries. Continue on. 28. And you heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father for the Father is greater than I. And I love this. Even though Jesus is God and God in the flesh, he's still submitting and, and humbling himself and submitting himself to the authority of the Father, right? Of God the Father. Say, not claiming that Jesus is different or a lesser deity. He's not saying, I'm not God. 
He's not saying I'm a lesser, I'm a different God. He's not saying he's a lesser deity, but he's submitting himself to the rank, the authority. God the Father is the, is that part of God that is high above, the ruler. Jesus submits to the higher rank and authority of the Father. Let's take a look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 to 8. Who, though, was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, which was, by the way, the most brutal and uh, painful and humiliating death of the time. And it's right up there for today, too. This is the point. He did this out of obedience, submitting himself to God the Father. That sounds an awful, like, an awful lot like he's setting an example. If you love me, then obedience will be the natural outpouring. Well, how can I say that? Because I love my father. I love the father. Even though I am one with the father, I love the father. And I am willing to submit myself in humble obedience. 29 to 30. And now I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. Now that's 29. This is again, he said this several times now. He's again letting them know, I'm telling you, What's going to happen so that when it does happen, you will realize that I am who I said I am, that I am the son of God. You've already said this. You've already brought this up. We've already agreed to this, that you will know that I am who I'm claiming to be. That's why I'm telling you this. Verse 30, I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming and he has no claim on me. Ruler of this world, that is a reference to Satan, just plain and simple. When we see ruler of the air, ruler of the world, these are references to Satan. Now, we do know from seeing in chapter 13, verses 27 and 28, we saw him enter Judas, and Jesus told him to get what he was about to do, just get it over with and get it over with quickly. The ruler of the world is coming, coming to take him out. It's coming to end Jesus. Again, we went through that whole thing. I would encourage you, go back. If you if you missed that one, go back and find it and, and listen to that one. It's chapter 13, verses 27 and 28. This, this ruler of the world is a reference of Satan. And he's coming. And he's coming for Jesus. But Jesus says, he has no claim on me. He has no claim on me. Why does he have no claim on him? Because he, he has no sin. Right? There, there is no, you know, have it both ways kind of thing. I, I, and this is kind of a hard thing for a lot of people to grasp and, and to handle with Christianity and with most religions, period. But we'll just, with Christianity and being a Christ follower, there's, there's not really a, a separate option. You are following one ruler. Whether you are following into the category of God's kingdom and following God, or you're following into the category of Oh, I just, I'm, I'm not into God. I'm an atheist. Well, that, that's great. God doesn't need you to believe in him. He doesn't just vanish. It's not like, you know, I don't believe in fairies. 
and they die, and you have to clap to bring them back. And there's no, we don't have to clap to bring God back. That's not how this works, right? That's not how this works. He doesn't need your belief to exist. He just does, and he always has. Well, that's the thing. There are two kingdoms. There is the kingdom of God, and there is the kingdom of the world. You fall into one of two camps, period. End of story. There's no outlier. You can't hop out of the kingdom of the world unless you are going to go and be a part of the kingdom of God. And you do that by being with Jesus, plain and simple. If you are going, if you go against God and you are going against God, you fall into the category of the kingdom of the world who has a ruler, which is Satan. But Jesus is without sin. Jesus is without sin. And thus, because he is God, the ruler of the world has no control over him. We are under the control of the ruler of the world because of sin. And since Jesus was sinless, there was nothing there for him. Okay? And Satan has so little power over him. Jesus submits himself humbly on the cross out of obedience to the Father, not out of obedience to Satan. That's the difference. 31, but I do as the Father commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. So Jesus has been teaching that authentic love produces obedience. This is that connection that brings love to action. That connection of being with being with that brings action, okay? He then declares that he is putting his money where his mouth is, for lack of a better way to phrase that, right? He puts his money where his mouth is. This action is because the true love of the son towards the father. God is not divided. And that's something we need to keep in mind here. God isn't divided here. This isn't two separate things. He's consistent. He is stable. He is secure, We can rest in knowing that God is who he is and he isn't going to change. Let's take a look at 1 Corinthians 1, verse 13. Is is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? No, it is all because of Jesus. It is all because of Christ, the Son of God. God is not divided. It's not divided. It's one God. And he's very stable and he's very secure. And they work, they, because we have Father, Son, Spirit, three parts of one God. They work together in unity, in harmony, in unison, and everything works properly the way it's supposed to. Then he says, rise, let us go from here. And this is that, that first indication that they're actually leaving the upper room from the Last Supper and heading toward the Kingdom Valley in the Garden of Gethsemane. That's just your fun note of what's coming, what's to come. Yay. Take away. What can we take away from this? Well, we can take away that loving God and loving Jesus produces some natural responses, namely obedience, obedience to God and thus following what it is that God says. While that's a really weird word that we don't like to hear here in America, especially sometimes it's something that we don't even discuss in the church. I think we should discuss this more in the church, to be honest with you, but it's still a true thing. Obedience is a natural piece and a natural outflowing from the heart 
of a believer. Okay, it naturally pours out of a believer. Not saying here that, that, that you won't stumble, not saying that there's not going to be problems, not saying that things won't happen, but that more and more, you're going to find yourself going God's way and doing what God asks throughout your life. As you grow in Christ, as you grow and are transformed more and more like Jesus, you will find that you are doing more and more God's way and that the grip and the hold of the ruler of the world, sin, lessens on you. It's still there. You're still going to struggle. But things get better. This is something that is so evident and true that that love, loving the Father, loving the Son, it's so evident and true that that brings obedience, that even Jesus gave that as an example for us. He submitted himself to the authority of the Father. Think of that. He submitted himself to the authority of the Father, giving us an example there as well. Humbled himself to the point of death giving himself for us in obedience to the Father out of love because God wants his creation. He wants his people. To love and accept Jesus brings God to you. The kingdom of God is here now, right? It's here and it's here right now. It's not just a heaven piece and a heaven thing. We all too often want to see this as a get out of hell free card, right? A fire insurance, as I remember that being sold a long time ago. No, it's not just about getting into heaven and staying out of hell. If you truly are a follower of Jesus, that kingdom is now. That kingdom is now. God makes a dwelling place with you and dwells in you. And he does that now here on earth. You don't need to stress out about being good enough when you cross the finish line and you pass away. He's with you now. He's not going to come and live with you and in you now if you're not a part of his kingdom. You don't have to worry about that. If you are in God's kingdom, you're good. Finally, Jesus gives his people peace, a peace that goes beyond anything that the world can give. We can rest and rest assured that this This doesn't change. That peace doesn't change. That God doesn't change. That he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is stable. He is secure. And because he doesn't change, and because he is stable, and because he's secure, because of all of that, we know that we can rely and we can depend on him. Father God, thank you so much for your word. And being who you are, being stable, being secure, not being divided. Thank you for your son that you sent to teach us these things and to show us these things and to live out the example of these things, to die on the cross for us. God, thank you for all of this and for all things. I ask that you be with your people today and that you continue to give peace and reassurance and guidance as we go through the world and as we prepare to celebrate the birth of Jesus coming up. Father God, thank you so much. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, hey guys, uh, quick note. We're going to take the next two weeks off. We're taking two weeks off because, hey, we have Christmas and then we have New Year's and, I mean, family stuff. Come on, right? We We all got it. Family stuff going on. So we are taking two weeks off. 
Be blessed. Have a great time. Have a great Christmas season. Remember, the reason of the season is Jesus. Don't forget to include that when you're when you're doing things with your family. Bring Jesus in on this. This is it's a beautiful time and it's a beautiful time to celebrate that. Guys, have a great weekend. We will talk to you guys next time. We'll talk to you guys in man, what? 2020 is it 2022 already i don't know i think it's 2021 so yeah 2022 i'm lost already i need another cup of coffee we'll talk to you guys later god bless